Hi, I'm John Visklosky, and this is Not So True Crime. Today we're going to be doing something new in a type of show I'm calling Not So True Crime Reviews. In these episodes, I'm going to be reviewing and recommending some of my favorite books, things that should absolutely be on your shelf at home if they're not already there. While I'm going to be covering a variety of genres, everything from mysteries and thrillers to sci-fi, horror, and even some non-fiction, I want to use these episodes, so far as is possible, to highlight works from authors who aren't necessarily bestsellers, people you may not have heard of, but whose books you should nevertheless be reading. I don't need to recommend books by Stephen King or George R.R. Martin, because Odds are, you've probably already read them. Instead, I think it'd be more useful to bring a bit more focus to a few lesser-known works. Books that are just as good as anything on the bestsellers list, but which, for whatever reason, may have attracted less notice. With that said, these reviews episodes won't simply be a random amalgamation of my own personal favorite titles. Instead, Each show will revolve around a different theme, some convention of either plot or genre that will unify and connect every book I mention. And since this is primarily a crime fiction show, what better way to start than with the original crime icon himself, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is one of those rare characters who has become something of a cottage industry in and of himself. Since his first appearance in 1887, he's appeared in more than 250 films, some hundreds of books, and thousands upon thousands of short stories. He's been portrayed on screen by more than a hundred different actors, most successfully by Basil Rathbone, who played him in 14 films, released between 1939 and 1946, when World War II was raging and the world was in great need of a healthy dose of escapism. More recently, he's been played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who has, along with Rathbone, given us the most definitive portrait of this brilliant but acerbic hero. While I've read and enjoyed all of the original novels and stories written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, I'm also one of those sacrilegious readers who tends to enjoy the derivative works more than the originals. Even though the original stories are very well written and have incredible characterization, the plotting of these tales is typically very silly. It's clear when you read them today that Conan Doyle wrote most of them very quickly, often over the course of just a few days, without bothering to go back in and do a second draft. As a result, the narratives in many of the original Holmes stories don't make much logical sense if you bother to read them closely. I'm not arguing that contemporary novelists are better writers than Conan Doyle. But one thing I do think has improved immeasurably over the past century is plotting. If there's one thing that contemporary mystery readers just will not accept, it's lazy, nonsensical plotting. Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn was a literary phenomenon for a reason, 
not only because of the strength of its characterization and the author's ability to give the reader a clear sense of place, but because the plot was so carefully calibrated, because the central mystery of the book was so flawless and airtight. Over the years, readers have become much less willing to stomach books that are riddled with plot holes, with clues and elements that never connect. And as a result, writers have had to become more precise in their plotting in order to attract an audience. So even though the original stories originated the characters of Holmes and Watson, subsequent works by other authors have been able to improve on Conan Doyle's literary blueprint by adding new plots that are rich with complexity, giving us a slew of stories and books that, far from diluting the power of the original works, supplement and elevate them with narratives that are, at least to me, deeper and more engaging. So rather than use this episode to review the best of Conan Doyle's original stories, I want to focus on the best of the rest, books that were not written by Holmes's creator. The first book on my list of favorite Sherlock Holmes stories is the debut novel of a wonderful writer, Dust and Shadow by Lindsay Fay. If you haven't already heard of her, Fay is one of the best and most prolific writers of Holmes stories, and Dust and Shadow is one of her all-around finest achievements. Set in 1887, the book follows Holmes and Watson as they attempt to track down one of history's most infamous serial killers, Jack the Ripper. As in the original stories, the whole book is written in the first person, from the perspective of Watson, as he and his celebrated friend attempt to unmask and apprehend the horrifying fiend who is slaughtering sex workers in Whitechapel. Dust and Shadow is part of a surprisingly large literary subgenre pitting the famed fictional detective against the real-life villain, and for my money, it is the best of the group. It is a phenomenally entertaining mix of wonderful writing and painstaking historical research. Although Faye has gone on to write many other incredible books, including her Gods of Gotham series, which follows Timothy Wilde in 1840s New York as he joins the newly minted NYPD, Dust and Shadow remains one of her very best, a seamless mix of period detail and ingenious plotting. Next on our list is The Beekeeper's Apprentice by the preeminent mystery writer Laurie King. Unlike every other story on this list, the Beekeeper's Apprentice jettisons the 19th century setting of the original Holmes canon in favor of the relative modernity of the 1920s and 10s. The book follows an aged Holmes as he combines forces with the novel's new narrator, a young girl named Mary Russell, who quickly becomes his apprentice in the art of detection. More of an episodic narrative than a straightforward novel of suspense, the book follows Holmes and Russell over a period of several years as they solve their first cases together, focusing as much on their burgeoning relationship, which comes to be both professional and romantic, as it does on the mysteries at hand. Like Faye's Holmes' Jack the Ripper mashup, this is a beautifully written book. The author has a firm command of the time, and Mary Russell makes for a really compelling narrator. 
And, in fact, as a character and a foil for Holmes, she is a lot stronger and more capable than the Watson of the original stories, more Sherlock's intellectual equal than hapless chronicler. King has since gone on to write 16 additional books in her Mary Russell series, but for my money, there's no beating the original. While it may not be as tightly plotted as some of the others on this list, and can, at times, seem to meander, the character of Mary Russell is such a breath of fresh air that you end up captivated by her story, no matter where it happens to take you. After the first in Laurie King's 17-book series, the next pick for this list comes from another series that focuses primarily on a character whose name is not Sherlock Holmes. Co-written by basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and screenwriter Anna Waterhouse, Mycroft Holmes follows Sherlock's elder brother as he begins his career in the British government, working for the Secretary of State for War. Now, I know what a lot of you are probably thinking. How could a book that is co-written by a six-time NBA champion and league MVP possibly be worth reading? The fact is, I didn't pick this book because I'm a huge Lakers fan, although I very much am. I picked it because it's among the very best stories set in the Holmesian universe. In addition to being a phenomenal basketball player, in this book, Jabbar proves himself to be a thoughtful writer of great empathy, which I would argue is the most important character trait for any successful author to have. By focusing on the character of Mycroft, he's able to find a new angle to approach a world and a cast of characters that has, after several hundred iterations, become rather staid. It's a simple but really effective way of wringing new and fascinating life out of these well-worn characters. The book follows the titular Mycroft and his best friend, Cyrus Douglas, a native of the tiny Caribbean island of Trinidad. Abandoning the gaslit streets of London, the two travel to Douglas's tropical birthplace to investigate a series of strange footprints and rumors of malevolent spirits who are luring children to their deaths, leaving their bodies pale and stiff, drained of blood. By moving away from the familiar London setting in favor of a small island nation, the book manages to put a new and compelling spin on what otherwise might have been a gimmicky story, giving us something that is part supernatural mystery and part Victorian-era travelogue. Cyrus Douglas is also an incredibly fascinating character, and through him the authors are able to explore the issues of immigration and racism in Victorian-era England, both topics which are more or less completely ignored throughout the vast majority of the Sherlock Holmes canon. If there's one downside to this book, it's that the writing occasionally comes off as sophomoric. It's clear in some of the descriptive passages that both authors are first-time novelists. But even when the writing seems clunky and the dialogue a bit affected, this is an incredibly well-plotted book, set in a corner of the Holmes universe that we as readers have never explored. The book is also headlined by a fascinating pair of sleuths, with Mycroft Holmes and Cyrus Douglas stepping in as worthy successors 
to the legacy of Holmes and Watson. The fourth story on this list is something of an unorthodox pick, mostly because it's not actually a novel. Throughout his history, Sherlock Holmes has proven himself to be a character of such great elasticity that he can stand up to adaptation in almost any medium. As we've seen in a slew of television adaptations, the most successful of which is, in my opinion, the BBC's Sherlock, depictions of the character that use visual mediums can be just as effective as the written stories. In light of this, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that the next pick on our list of greatest home stories uses a mix of visual and written techniques to create a Holmesian narrative that is one of the more fascinating and more unique entries on this list. And that is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a series of comics written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Kevin O'Neill. If you know anything about the world of comics, or even if you don't, you've probably still heard of Alan Moore, or at least something that he's written. The guy is basically a living legend, a master of the medium. In addition to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's responsible for some of the most famous titles out there, including From Hell, V for Vendetta, Batman, The Killing Joke, and, most famously, Watchmen. In spite of the fame and accolades that those other titles have managed to amass, for my money, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is still Moore's finest creation. The book follows a rogues gallery of Victorian literary anti-heroes, a literary supergroup that includes H. Ryder Haggard's Alan Quartermain, Jules Verne's Captain Nemo, H.G. Wells' Invisible Man, and Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, all of them led by the indomitable half-human, half-vampire Mina Harker, of Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's basically like the Avengers, if the Avengers had all been plucked from Victorian horror and adventure novels. While Holmes himself makes only a fleeting appearance, much of the series sees the League pitted against the detective's greatest enemy, Professor James Moriarty. It's also overflowing with references to hundreds of other literary works all of them mashed together into one fantastical, delightfully bizarre universe. This comic is a great combination of visual and written mediums. The illustrations in every panel are sumptuous and captivating, and the dialogue crackles with poetic passages and plenty of era-appropriate banter. If there's any weakness at all in this story, it's the May-December romance between Quartermain and Mina which, even in a story with so many fantasy and sci-fi elements, seems just utterly unbelievable. In spite of that, this is one of the best and most original comics out there. It's an incredibly successful example of literary pastiche, combining dozens of characters from dozens of different books and placing them all together in a steampunk version of Victorian-era Europe. It's weird and fun and completely bonkers, and it'll give you one of the most unique reading experiences of your entire life. Pivoting back to the world of novels, the next and penultimate pick for this list is a book called Moriarty 
by English author Anthony Horowitz. If you haven't already heard of him, Horowitz is an incredibly prolific writer with a number of wonderful titles to his name. In addition to writing the Alex Rider YA series, he served as a producer and writer on several long-lived television series on the BBC, most notably Foyle's War, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and Midsummer Murders. Beyond his television and YA work, Horowitz has also written a number of books aimed at adults, including two James Bond titles, as well as a number of mysteries. As the title might suggest, Moriarty picks up in the immediate aftermath of Holmes' fateful and seemingly fatal confrontation with Professor James Moriarty on the edge of the Reichenbach Falls in Switzerland. With the famed detective missing and presumed by all in the world to be dead, the book follows a new pair of sleuths as they pursue an American criminal recently arrived in London. The book is narrated by Frederick Chase, an American agent with the Pinkerton Detective Agency, who joins forces with Athelney Jones, an inspector from Scotland Yard. Devoted fans of Conan Doyle will probably recognize Jones as the bumbling inspector who made a brief appearance in the original novel The Sign of the Four. But far from making a reappearance here as the blundering detective of classical crime literature, Horowitz's novel goes out of its way to rehab Jones's character, casting him in a completely different light. Embarrassed in the wake of a case that saw him arrest the wrong suspect, Jones has completely devoted himself to the study of modern methods of detection, going so far as to read everything that Holmes has ever written in an effort to replicate his idol's methods. In mimicking the methods of the man who had once so thoroughly embarrassed him, Jones has remade himself as a hyper-competent inspector, and he serves as the novel's Sherlock Standen, an able and compelling protagonist, made all the more so by the inherent insecurity that inspired his personal renaissance, and which, throughout the entire book, overshadows even his most brilliant deductions. Even though the book offers readers a perfectly captured rendition of Holmes's turn-of-the-century London, it manages to build on those original stories without being completely beholden to them. In a way, it's a bit of a postmodern text in that it critiques the very world it's creating, with one character even pointing out that much of what Holmes did in the original adventures defied logic and was little more than lucky guesswork. But the book doesn't simply have fun at Sherlock's expense. To the contrary, it's pretty reverential in its treatment of both the world and the characters, in a way that, far from feeling derivative or slavish, comes off as very charming. It's clear just from reading it that Horowitz himself is a huge fan, and it's that mix of irreverence and admiration that makes Moriarty so entertaining. Horowitz is the author of a second book set in the Holmes universe called The House of Silk. Even though that book actually follows Watson and Sherlock as they seek to solve another labyrinthine mystery, for my money, Moriarty is actually much more captivating. Even though it revolves around a new set of characters, it's precisely this aspect of unfamiliarity that makes Moriarty so incredibly entertaining. By following a new pair of detectives, 
it offers a more novel reading experience, giving fans a new avenue into what is, by now, a familiar world. The character of Jones, in particular, gives readers something that has long been lacking from this series, a version of Holmes who is actually fallible, a man who is capable of making mistakes. Unlike Holmes, who was decried by his own creator as being cold-blooded and even reptilian in his single-minded pursuit of perfection, Jones is more recognizably human, encumbered by failings and vulnerabilities that many of his readers will probably share. Of course, the tragedy and brilliance of Horowitz's book is that it's only too late at the novel's end that we realize how truly staggering Jones's failures have been. The last book on our list of best Sherlock Holmes stories is another entry from Lindsay Fay, who is, in my mind, the best writer to release a Holmes story whose name doesn't end in Conan Doyle. It's a book called The Whole Art of Detection, Lost Mysteries of Sherlock Holmes. Unlike her earlier entry on this list, which was a self-contained novel, The Whole Art of Detection is a collection of Fay's short fiction, including many stories that were originally published in The Strand magazine, the very same publication in which Arthur Conan Doyle himself published the original adventures starting back in the 1890s. In case you went into this book harboring any doubts as to its quality, the editorial approval of that particular publication should hopefully tell you a little something about the quality of Faye's short fiction. Simply put, this is a wonderful collection of 15 of the finest Holmes stories you will ever read. Not only that, they're just 15 of my favorite stories, period. Not only is the writing beautiful, perfectly capturing the cadence and imagery of those late 19th century penny dreadfuls, but Faye has a complete command of the characters. She knows who these people are, to the point that she's able to inhabit them completely. The mysteries wrapped up within these stories are also incredibly tightly crafted, with each one offering a perfect mix of plotting and characterization. They are as close as anyone has ever gotten to mimicking the voice and style of the originals. Yet, for all that stylistic ventriloquism, reading these stories doesn't feel like an exercise in simple authorial imitation. In reproducing the form and style of those old adventures, Faye somehow manages something that should be impossible. She manages to put her own stamp on these staid, conventional characters, giving us something that is impossibly and indelibly hers. That's it for this first episode of Not-So-True-Crime Reviews. In the interest of full disclosure, I feel I should probably tell you that I didn't just pick Sherlock Holmes as the focal point for this show, simply because I'm a fan of the character. I also wanted to highlight some of my favorite Holmes stories, because for our next original episode of the podcast, I'm going to be sharing a Holmes story that I myself have written. It's a story called Postscript, and as the title probably suggests, it's set in the immediate aftermath of Holmes's confrontation with Moriarty, following a weary Watson as he returns home 
to a grieving London. Much like many of the entries on this list, it's a story that seeks to capture the smoggy grit of Holmes's Victorian-era city, and one that, hopefully, gives you a new lens through which to view these familiar characters. So I hope you'll all tune back in and give Postscript a listen. In the meantime, if you like the show and want to help other people find it, you can leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get of both, the more people can listen to this show. You can also email us at notsotruecrime at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at notsotruecrime and jvisglosky. We'll be back soon with our next original story. Until then, I'm John Visglosky. Thanks for listening.